So here's a question for you. In the New Testament, which is given greater importance, Jesus' baptism or Jesus' nativity? Hello? <laughs> More to the nativity. Okay, well let's have a little straw poll. Let's nativity. Baptism. Well, I'm afraid of baptism people are right. The answer is Jesus' baptism. And the evidence really is that um, the nativity story comes from just the two Gospels, comes from Matthew and from Luke. Um, there's nothing at all in Mark about Jesus' nativity. doesn't mention it. Nothing at all. In John's Gospel, what you find is a, a kind of a philosophical... Uh, essay about the word becoming flesh. There certainly aren't any uh, mangers or shepherds or uh, angels in John's Gospel. But by contrast, the all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, uh, pretty near the beginning in most cases, and in Mark's case absolutely at the beginning, the Gospel begins with the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist. So you could say that, that all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, all put the event, this event, Jesus' baptism, right at the beginning of their Gospel story. And it's only in two of the Gospels, in, in um, Matthew and Luke, that they, the nativity comes before that. So in, in one sense, they, uh, Biblically speaking, it's Jesus' baptism that's given the greater prominence, which is quite interesting, the way that we, you know, we celebrate Christmas, and we don't really think about this very much at all, at least not in a, um, a wider sense in our society. But that, that's where the New Testament puts the emphasis. So the question is, why? Why does, do all four Gospels in the New Testament make this the beginning of the gospel story. And in one sense, it's, it's the thing that Miriam mentioned really already in, in her children's talk. It marks the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. This is the point at which Jesus is, um, becomes public. You know, I've never really thought about this before, but it, you know, it, it's quite likely that the first disciples knew nothing about the stable, or the manger, or the angels. They just knew that this guy appeared in public, and he was baptized by John. They, they probably found out about the, the details of the nativity afterwards. At the time, this was where Jesus made his public appearance. So it's the beginning of his public ministry, and, and that's one of the reasons, I'm sure, why the Gospels, all four Gospels, start here. But there are, there are other reasons, too. There are, I think there are, there are theological reasons. There are deeper reasons why this is the point at which the Gospels start with the story of Jesus. And one of those reasons is this, that it anticipates a vital aspect of the kingdom of God. That there's something happening in this event of Jesus coming and submitting to John's baptism, which is 
starting to show us something that's really important about the kingdom of God. This is the verse from the beginning of Matthew. We didn't read this verse, but it, it kind of introduces what John was doing. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So that's what Jesus would have heard as he came to see John the Baptist, and, and that's the message that he's responding to by coming to John for baptism. It's very interesting that, that right at the beginning of, of Mark's Gospel, where Mark has the, the story of Jesus' baptism by John, there are some very similar words, but they're in the, it's Jesus who's speaking them. Jesus says this at the beginning of Mark's Gospel. He says, the time has come, Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And you can see, just, just to reflect back, between these two. In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven has come near, repent and believe the good news. They're very similar, aren't they? They're similar statements of, of what Jesus is about at the beginning of his ministry. And there's a sense in which, because of that, actually what Jesus is, is doing is taking the message that John presented and embodying it in a fuller way, taking it forward, if you like. But there's one huge difference between what John was saying and what Jesus was saying about repenting and believing the good news, and it's this, that Jesus submitted to that baptism of John. John didn't want him to do it. We read that in the Matthew passage. John says to him, what's all this about? Why are you coming to me to be baptized? And, and what we're, we're up against here is actually the theological reason why this baptism is at the beginning of the gospel story. And it's, it's this. It's Jesus' identification with our sin. The Son of God. That's why John didn't want to baptize him. As he sees Jesus coming, this one who's the Messiah of God, the one that actually in the fourth gospel, John the Baptist refers to Jesus at this point as the Lamb of God. And he sees the Lamb of God coming and saying, I need to be baptized for the repent, for oh, the baptism of repentance, remember, for forgiveness of sin. Whose sin? Well, not Jesus's. Ours. And so, right at the beginning, I think, of the gospel story, what you've got is is this extraordinary idea that Jesus came not just to share our humanity but that actually Jesus identifies with our sin. And I think that's the thing that actually, you know, as, as Jesus' ministry developed through his, his teaching and his healing, and then finally in the cross, of course, which we'll reflect on through our communion later in the service, that identification is complete, isn't it? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, one of my favorite verses of scripture, he says, 
God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. What does Jesus say to John when John says to him, you know, I can't baptize you. Jesus says we need to do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. There's some very deep truth going on here about the way that Jesus came into our world, not just to stand aside from us or do something for us, but actually be in our experience, even to the extent of, of sinfulness for us. And I think that's the reason, actually, that's the, that's the deeper reason why the gospel story on the whole begins with this event and not the nativity. Because this is played out right through Jesus' ministry, as I say, in his teaching and his healing, and then in the cross and the resurrection. There's this identification with our sin. And because of that identification with our sin, the fact that we share, he shares in our sin, we get to share in God's righteousness. <laughs> I mean, who thought that up, for goodness sake? You know? It's, I mean, it's just, it's extraordinary, isn't it? That's what the gospel is offering us through faith in Jesus, is that he identifies with our sin and we get to share in the righteousness of God. And so that's, that's right at the beginning of the gospel story. That's the, the focus. I want, to, I want to just think a little bit about this, this business of repent, though. Um, what does that mean? And in particular, you know, what does it mean for those of us, perhaps, who have been Christians for many years? I mean, you can see the whole logic of it, can't you? You can see the, the logic of repentance. When somebody becomes a Christian, what they need to do is, is turn their back on, on some of the things, perhaps, that they've, they've been involved in and, and move in a different direction. Well, some of you may be in that position, and if you are, then God bless you as you make that move, as you move away from what is behind and want to reach something new and different. What does it mean for those of us that have been Christians for many years? What do we need to repent of? What is the, what is the meaning of this? Well, there's a common misunderstanding, isn't there? That, and that's that um, repentance means feeling sorry. Oh, I'm really sorry. I was sorry when I got caught, usually. <laughs> but not much before that. But actually, the, the, this idea of, of repentance is uh, far more uh, difficult and far more complicated than that. There's an association of, of repentance with shame and guilt. And for some people, that can be quite destructive, actually, particularly if you've got sensitive individuals who take on guilt that they don't really sh shouldn't have. You know, I think it's... Um, is it Billy Connolly who says, the church does guilt? <laughs> and it's true, isn't it, that, that often we're, we will take on a sense of being responsible for things that we're not. And we don't need to take that on. There is there's an appropriate guilt, of course, if you, if you know that there's, there's some way in which you've hurt somebody else or damaged them. And, and there is an appropriate sense of guilt, of feeling sorry. But that's not repentance. Repentance. 
That's just feeling sorry that the hurt has happened. The Greek word is this word metanoia. And it's an interesting word. It's, uh, it's made up of two Greek words, meta, which means after or beyond, and nous is the root word for noia. And it means the mind or the heart. So in, in sort of literal terms, what this means is beyond the mind. And that's why, of course, it's about change, because it's about the way that the, your mind is, uh, is shifted. It's about going beyond. One of the um, key verses for me in, the, in understanding this is, uh, there we are, going beyond, is this, Romans 12, 2. And it's the one we read at the beginning of the service. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. And that idea that actually repentance, metanoia, is about the renewing of our minds so that we have a different way of thinking, a different set of priorities, is one that can apply to all of us, isn't it, right through our lives? That, that sense in which the Holy Spirit renews and leads and changes what's in our minds and our hearts. What does that actually look like? You know, what, what are the practical implications for us in terms of, if, if, if um, metanoia, this idea of repentance, is about going beyond where we are now, day by day, what does that mean? Well, for me, I think one of the things that it means is it means more grace. More grace more lived grace in our lives and in the lives of the people around about us. And I, I've got three little headings very quickly just to, to show you. More grace for others. Golly, we could do with that, couldn't we? <laughs> I mean, you know, this is me giving grace to others. It's you giving grace to others. And... Uh, so often we react in ways that are, are rooted often in habitual ways of thinking about ourselves and about the world around about us. You know, the stuff with Harry and, and Wills, I turn off the radio now, turn off the television, I don't want to hear it. And one of the things that strikes me about that is there's no grace. There's no grace in that relationship on either side. How could I bless somebody, you know, round about me in my family circle or in, in my street or in my work by offering them more grace? That would be a way of renewing my mind, wouldn't it? <laughs> more grace. More grace for others. More grace for myself. You know, Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I often think that part of the difficulty with that is that we don't always love ourselves. Actually, sometimes there's, there's loathing, isn't there? It's a strong word. Because we know, you know, for yourself, 
the things that go on in here and in here and you look at that and you think I don't like that very much more grace to yourself that's not letting yourself off the hook it's actually reflecting something of the way that Jesus looks at you something of the way the Father looks at you and looks at you and says I love you what me? <laughs> yeah you more grace to ourselves and finally this one more grace for the planet <laughs> honestly brothers and sisters what are we doing when we go on consuming at the rate that we are when we go on expecting our standard of living to increase year by year when we go on running our cars and our aeroplanes in such a way that they're actually changing the climate on which the whole planet depends what are we doing? what are we doing when we destroy habitats and make whole species extinct? what are we doing to the creation in those circumstances? more grace for the planet <laughs> none of that is easy is it <laughs> none of it grace for others grace for ourselves grace for the planet that's not easy but I think that the kind of going beyond that is embedded in that idea of, of metanoia of repentance these are things that, that all of us can do aren't they day by day practical things thinking about the people at your work or the people who are your neighbours the ones who really get up your nose <laughs> how, can I, how can I offer more grace to them and to myself how can I begin to love myself the way that God loves me and for the planet what can I do to start to give more grace to go beyond and you know the interesting thing that I think that's in, in this is that whenever we do that, whenever we, we give more grace, whenever we go beyond in that sense of metanoia, what we do is we establish a bridgehead for the kingdom of God. Isn't that incredible? In the lives of other people, in our own lives, in the life of our planet. And I want to be involved in that. And I hope you do too. Let's pray.